Welcome back to the Film Hole Podcast. I'm Trevor. And I'm Raul. I'm a filmmaker. And I'm a scientist. And we're here Every- to answer the question, what happened? <laughs> Dude, shut up. Was Every there a no-go we- on that? <laughs> no. <laughs> here to finish the joke, scientists and a filmmaker walk into a bar. What happens next? Every week we watch a movie. And we come together and we discuss it. And this week we watched 1988 akira yeah anime classic from what i understand it's like kind of a pivotal movie in anime from what i understand yes. it's like the big it's like the big one F- from what i can understand of this movie very good point this movie yeah. is hard to understand this movie is an enigma i think that we need to make a quick disclaimer like right up right up top I, the more i like digged on this movie the re- the more i realized like how much of a cultural phenomenon it is uh-huh. And so, like, I'm not trying to make any sort of big revelations about this movie because this movie's been studied. This week, we uncover a, uh, a stone unturned, a gem in classic anime, which hasn't <laughs> gotten its its day in the light. I suppose that this is a disclaimer for like the podcast as a whole, right? Right, right. We don't we don't have any authority here, but especially for this one, especially for this movie, we're. It's- Really punching above our weight here. Yeah, I don't want any angry anime fans coming after me. No, because they're the worst. Man, fuck those anime fans. Fuck those guys. But yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, start off with like a quick synopsis of what this movie actually is. Yeah, yeah. So I've got, as the movie was going, I actually took some notes about this because I knew it was going to be kind of hard to follow. And I actually think I misspoke last week because I think I said that the the plot of this movie is that like a bomb is dropped on Neo Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And I swear that came from Wikipedia, but apparently it didn't. But a, a bomb is inaccurate according to the end of this movie, which is a singularity is what w- Wikipedia refers to it as. Spoiler alert, it is Akira that destroys Tokyo. Yeah, and, yeah I wanted and, to talk to you about that because that, that was something I was only able to gather together after yeah. reading about it. Yeah, I think I was too. So anyways, it's kind of vague in the beginning of the movie. The movie starts off with what looks like an atomic explosion, the destruction of a city without sound. So if you're watching this movie for the first time, like maybe there's no sound and that's intentional. This movie does a lot with silence. I also think, really quick side note, I think the version that you and I watched is like, there's two English dubs. And I think you and I watched the earlier one. Oh, shit. Which is fine, I think, right? Why would it be so. fine? Yeah. I just, I rather my atom bombs make noises. <laughs> we start in, we're in 1988, Japan, uh, Tokyo in particular. Huge explosion we see just engulf the city and destroy it. Um, immediately we cut to roughly 30 years later, way, way, way into the future, the year 2019. Yeah, beyond our imaginations of what that could be like. And we're dropped into a uh, seemingly post-apocalyptic or at least like mid-apocalyptic city of Neo-Tokyo. Where there are cool biker gangs and a lot of like nice neon and very cool retro wave kind of artwork. That's that's that's, that's why it's called Neo-Tokyo. What does the word Neo mean? It's just like a cooler way of saying new. It's like this is like Neo England. It's just like the cyberpunk version of New England. 
I love it. <laughs> so yeah, we're dropped into post-apocalyptic Neo Tokyo, which is basically just Tokyo, but like cyberpunk. Stuff is just a little bit more awry than uh, regular Tokyo would be. We're introduced to, I think the very first off we see this mutant kid who like has escaped from the laboratory. You don't quite know that yet, but we're following this like character who looks kind of old, but is a child. Uh, but we don't know who he is yet. And then like he intersects with our main character, Tetsuo, who's part of this uh, bike gang. So at the same time that this kid is running through the city, escaping, it seems like there's law enforcement after him. We're also uh, interdispersing scenes of the biker gangs uh, clashing with one another. You're right. yep. Doing the, the hyperviolence. And this culminates in a scene where those two you know, these different characters meet together on a street where mm-hmm. the main character, his um, his name, Tetsuo. Is that right? Tetsuo yep. almost collides with the young old man child. Right. In a fiery accident. Yeah. And then they're both kind of swept away by the government forces that come in. Yeah. So kind of a... A big scene happens where government shows up and they're like, oh my god, uh, this crazy teenager crashed his bike into our old man-child. So we gotta take him too. I was kind of confused by that in the very beginning. They're like, I'm like, why are they taking him also? Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it makes sense if you keep watching. But the short of it is that Tetsuo is captured by the government to do... Uh, or to have experiments done on him against his will. Uh, We're then introduced to the concept of... uh, Well, I I should say, actually, before all that happens, Tetsuo escapes government clutches. And he links up with his girlfriend, and he realizes that something isn't quite right with him anymore. Um, And then he's recaptured, and that's when we're introduced to the idea of Akira. And I think when watching this movie for the first time, not knowing who or what Akira is, is kind of important because it's teased throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. It's also the title of the movie. I don't know if you picked up on that. What? Yeah, it's good. It's a good thing I told you. <laughs> so yeah, we're introduced to this idea of Akira. Akira is some person or something of great power that was, quote, awoken once and has been dormant for a long time. And a lot of this is explained through the other uh, old woman child whose name I can't remember. Yeah, it's one of these numbered people. Number 25, number 26, 27. They all have names. Like, I know that... Uh, old Old man... That might be it. Old man child... Old man child's name is Takashi. Ah, uh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, I think it's yeah. um, Kyoko. The movie basically starts to set up that something is wrong with Tetsuo. He's kind of this punching bag, like, pipsqueak in the beginning of the movie. And then he uh, is experimented on by the government, makes contact with Takashi, like, earlier than that. And it's starting to affect him in some unpredictable way, and he's starting to develop these weird psychic powers. Um, And along with that, he's actually starting to lose his mind a little bit. And then maybe the next big set piece is 
that he is recaptured and brought back to the government facility where he makes contact with uh, the other psychic kids. In my mind, like, all of this is, like, already brushed away, and we're already, like, I would sweep all of this and just say, like, Tetsuo gets, like, more and more powerful, escapes from the lab, and starts, like, tearing stuff up. It is confusing that, like, Tetsuo, like, is in the lab twice. Like, he escapes once. I, he yeah. escapes once and like has like a whole thing that happens outside and then he comes right back and then the plot develops further. Right. In my notes it was like <laughs> you know, we were watching this movie and chronologically I was taking notes like in real time. And so like one of the things that I felt was notable was Tetsuo captured, next line, Tetsuo escapes, next line, Tetsuo recaptured. <laughs> so like nothing in between all of that is like worth writing down. Yeah. So maybe let's just uh, skip to that scene where he makes contact with uh, the other psychic kids. They fight him a little bit. Um, he realizes that experiments have been done on him and like they have some kind of psychic powers and that is somehow related to these new powers that he's developing. And all the while, there is, like, a completely throwaway subplot, in my opinion, of, like, after doing some research on this, it's not throwaway, like, has symbolism of, like, the current governmental state of Japan at the time that this was made. But in the context of the movie, I don't think it's doing much, which is, like, a coup of the government. Oh, right, right. They're showing, like, this, like, government headquarters, like, room where all of, like, the world or Tokyo leaders are, like, arguing with each other. And it amounts to nothing, like, in the the stakes of the film. No, no. It is cool. I do like the subplot of that military head guy. I think he's pretty interesting. He's, like... The colonel? Yeah, the colonel. He's, like, simultaneously, like, um, bad and good at the same time. Yeah. He has, like, a real sense of duty... I think, like, the the moral uh, alignment of most of the characters in this movie, with a few exceptions, is pretty ambiguous, which I right. think is, like, uh, one of the reasons it makes it a good movie. Mm-hmm. Somewhat realistic. So Tetsuo discovers powers, he escapes, there's a coup in the government, and Tetsuo, first thing he does when he gets out the second time, when he's a lot more powerful, he starts to, like, fucking kill everyone. Like has completely lost his mind he like goes to a bar where they only sell pills i guess kills the bartender uh he like confronts what were his friends uh starts i don't think he kills any of them but like has complete like lost all regard for human life and anything about himself so he's lost his mind that's obvious right right um this is where he puts on the cape i believe he like finds a red curtain or something and I think that happens like shortly thereafter when the government uh, launches a full-on attack on him. Because uh-huh. with any with any superhero movie, when someone gets their powers, the government freaks out. Um, in this case, there's like actual lore that goes with it. It's not just like human panic and like them firing missiles at Superman. There's actually like a reason for it because Akira, as you'll find out, is sort of like version one of like power that cannot be contained 
Yeah, yeah, this this happened before, which explains some of the dialogue from the beginning between the colonel and the scientist, which didn't really make sense to me. He was like, um, like if you have like any, if you have like any glimpse that this power might be more than you can handle, like immediately put an end to it, like no questions asked, mm-hmm. take zero yeah. risks, and I'm like, what could be such high stakes that you would, right? Tell him it's because they know what they're they know what they're dealing with because they had to deal with Akira. Yeah, uh, yeah. In 1988, apparently. So anyways, the government uh, launches a full-on attack against Tetsuo. Tetsuo has, like, I would say powers that are very similar to Dr. Manhattan, if anybody is more familiar with Watchmen than they are this movie, which uh, I guess that's whatever. It helps me figure that out. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a, basically a contr- control over matter to some degree. Uh so the government is like really shitting the bed on getting this guy under control they are getting their asses handed to them by tetsuo in true anime fashion which is really fun to watch um and while all this is happening tetsuo is trying to get to akira because also in typical anime fashion if you are the most powerful person in the show or the movie it is your duty to seek out the other most powerful person and fight them for no reason okay that's that's helpful because uh, that's needs clarifying like what the hell he's actually doing other than just mayhem i think it's like the general school of thought when you're like a super powered anime character is that the only thing you care about at that point is how powerful you are and if someone else is more powerful than you and you gotta go like set that person straight that's at least what dragon ball z taught me yep if it's taught me anything. <laughs> and so he discovers, uh, this was teased earlier in the movie too, uh, Akira's cryo chamber, which we learn is Pandora's box, but Pandora's box only contains uh, a bunch of jars that are filled with organs. And I think the colonel has some exposition explaining that uh, Akira was subjected to a lot of experiments and for some reason that's why he's just a collection of organs uh-huh it's just post him like blowing up tokyo for the first time right probably yeah mm-hmm. so whatever not really sure how that happened but kind of irrelevant it's a cool reveal though like this yeah. uh this this person this akira that's the title of the movie that's been kind of like hinted at the entire mm-hmm. movie ends up yeah. just being a bunch of jars of like dismembered yeah. brain stuff. Kind of an anticlimactic moment on purpose. Yeah, yeah. We'll work our way through the rest of this synopsis and then I want to like break stuff down like in detail. So Akira or excuse me, Tetsuo uh, is shot by a satellite. The government has these satellite cannons that they fire at him. Um, takes off one of his arms. He flies up destroys the satellite and then proceeds to where the final act of this movie will take place which is the stadium where uh, the 2020 olympics were supposed to be held and remember that this movie takes place in 2019 and this movie came out in 1988 Mm -hmm. so this is a projection of basically now Um, and there's this interesting little easter egg about how it predicted 
the the cancellation of the 2020 Olympics or something like that, which we'll get into. Because uh, I did some more research on that. But basically, this is where the final showdown happens between Tetsuo and the colonel, or just Tetsuo and himself, I guess you could say, um, as most of his struggles are internal. Tetsuo really starts to lose lose control of his powers, and he starts to transform into this giant blob of an organ monster, is what I have written down in my notes, is an organ monster. And then he gets out of control, uh, gets to a point where he, now he is a risk of destroying uh, Tokyo or all life or something. And because of this, the old men and women children summon Akira to like rematerialize from his jars of organs, mm-hmm. comes back from, from jar hell. Strictly with the one assignment to take out Tetsuo with a giant ball of light and simultaneously destroy and save Neo Tokyo, which is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And then some weird kind of extra dimensional shit happens with Tetsuo and his best friend and Akira. Uh, and then we get kind of a vague ending of like what actually happened to Tetsuo. But in the end, at least with everyone who's not Tetsuo, everything has worked out fine. And stuff is back to normal. Did the city not get like kind of destroyed at the end? I was very confused about that. Well, a city got destroyed. Tokyo? Yes. Neo Tokyo was destroyed. But Kaneda, who I can't believe we haven't mentioned yet. Kaneda is kind of an important character in this story. Um, was actually sent to a different dimension of to- of Neo Tokyo and that's why Tokyo is destroyed but also Kaneda is like in a version of Neo Tokyo that has not been destroyed what the fuck yeah okay and I should say I should say none of this is obvious from watching the movie no not at all <laughs> I can tell that you read up on this because like this is totally yeah. not clear for me I did my homework on this. I will say though that I watched our little like post post watching thing, um, our like little back and forth that we had afterwards, and I feel like I explained it like pretty well, all things considered. Like I had caught on to like a lot of the, I think the correct themes. Oh, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Okay, so I, I'm I'm flipping through the end. There's a lot of scenes of like the city and carnage. But, but then, like, a little bit later, I guess they are or not. I can't tell. Yeah. This movie definitely requires multiple viewings if you're trying to gather everything about it strictly from watching it. The reason that I've been able to spout a lot of this stuff off is because I took a lot of notes and I did a lot of research afterwards, which I think any kind of comprehension of this movie, like, that's going to be required. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I couldn't even really help you with the synopsis. I, I couldn't even help you say what happened in the movie. <laughs> even that basic task was beyond, beyond what yeah. I could muster. This movie's tough. It's not. It's not for us or our audience. Mm-hmm. I had a. Mo- I think I had a moment last night when watching it where I'm like, shit, like I really need to pay attention. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I knew that like I was in over my head, like halfway into this movie now i'm glad one of us are prepared yeah okay so maybe 
uh, let's transition into something else so we can both talk about this. That was the synopsis of the movie, and it only took us 37 minutes of banter to get there. So thanks for sticking around. I'm going to cut that to a tight five. Now a word from our sponsor, Terracopy. What if we got like actual sponsorship from Terracopy just by... <laughs> I, I got a good pitch line. So grab a copy of Terracopy today. Do, 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 do. And then like a little bit of like fast uh, legal stuff. Terracopy is not responsible for... <laughs> your discussion. Terracopy is not responsible for the deletion of all your files all at the same time. <laughs> Let's so, just, uh, like, hot takes. The first thing that really struck me about this movie is the animation style. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm no stranger to, like, uh, 80s and 90s anime for obvious reasons. Uh, that's a shout-out to my Dragon Ball reference earlier. But I feel like this movie, I even think I read that it was, like, at, at its time, the most expensive animated movie, and especially the most expensive anime movie that had ever been made up until that point so yeah, like over I a, think it, a billion like money units were spent in making money it units. yeah that's a nice vague way of referring uh to a currency we don't understand yeah <laughs> it was like over a billion yen was spent uh-huh. in its production and i saw that number i'm like holy shit before i like saw the yen yeah part it's really it's really a misleading unit yes uh at least being raised on western currencies i suppose but uh yeah so big big budget movie for an animation and i think it really shows in the animation style like it is definitely anime but it has like a slightly better frame rate than i'm used to with other animes from that time um and so that stuck out to me and it feels very fluid too like um like very natural kind of body movements not just static yeah not moving I mean, characters which is kind of a staple of like anime animation style from what i understand which is sort of lower frame rates and i don't know if it's just like because of the way anime is drawn that you have to like it spends more t- it, it it requires more time to draw each frame and maybe that's why anime is like a slower frame rate than other styles of animation uh-huh that we were talking about Futurama earlier. There's a whole joke about that in an episode of Futurama. I think it's like one of the specials. It's like a longer one, maybe. Uh-huh. One of the later seasons one. But it's like several little mini adventures, like within one episode. Yeah, of different style, uh, different animation styles. Exactly. And what's the joke with each one of them is that, like, whatever the main climactic moment of that adventure is is um limited by whatever that animation style's weakness is to where it like actually can't be seen or appreciated Uh that's the gag with each one so like the first one i think is like old uh walt disney style cartoons black and white black and white and then like a rainbow appears at the end and then a, a new color in quotes generates out of the rainbow and I remember like, oh my that. god oh my god it's a new color we've never seen a color like this before but because it's in black and white you as the viewer like just see anything. another shade of gray yeah that's right. pretty funny and then in the and there's an anime part of that episode man we're spending a lot of time on this <laughs> but uh in the anime part of that episode of futurama there's like like some sort of dance off between two characters and anime does this thing where like whenever a character is doing something very 
elaborate or detailed in their movements. It just shows them in a singular pose with like a really fast moving background. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that happens. A character is dancing and you see this like crazy like starburst background and they're like, oh my God, his movements are so detailed and intricate. Like they're barely perceivable by the human eye or something like that. Yeah. We're looking at you, Dragon Ball Z, that instead of animating fight sequences, just relies on like (laughs) and little flashes of light. (laughs) <laughs> and they're like they're fighting on a whole nother level right we can't even see it which is just like the lazy way of saying we didn't have the budget to animate yeah it. that's definitely just a cop out yeah but i think uh that is not a problem in akira because they had the budget and so those extra frames are there oh yeah we see we see everything in all its gruesomeness what did you think of like the overall like style of this movie i loved it the way they play with light I mean, just it's this steampunk, uh, Tokyo. There's neon everywhere. The lighting mm-hmm. is like really cool. This made me like very curious about like that's that cyberpunk style of um, futuristic sci-fi uh-huh. or like metro metro like sci-fi, where it, it kind of reminds me of Blade Blade Runner, right? Yeah. Like that whole kind of like gritty post-apocalyptic, still very futuristic, but kind of, I don't know, what do you call that? Yeah, I mean, everything you said, gritty, urban, industrial, Mm -hmm. futuristic, post-apocalyptic. Because it made me so curious about that because this came out in 1988 and Blade Runner came out in uh, 1982. Yeah. Oh, even earlier. So, in... Blade Runner is based off of a book, but I don't know how much that influences like the visual style. So maybe Blade Runner was the first one to do that. But like, it's really funny to see like this movie came out in '88, and that's like a vert, like one '80s version of the future, juxtaposed to Back to the Future Two, <laughs> which is another '80s version of the future, but like looks completely different. When did that come out? Same time uh, period, right? Back to the Future 2, sometime after 1985. 1989. So this that came out a year after Akira. Hmm. Th- this vision of the future isn't, like, all that crazy overall, right? Like, they, it didn't feel like they got anything, like, that crazy wrong. I mean, all of the psycho superhero stuff aside. You mean just, like, in, like culturally or technologically? Technologically. Why do you say that with your expert scientist opinion? Well, I mean, because, like, put uh, laser weapons aside, like, they still drive in cars and motor vehicles. and That's true. The build, Some of the buildings are, like, look pretty crazy. Like, the main government one that's absolutely huge is pretty crazy. That, that's, that building specifically reminded me of Blade Runner. Oh, yeah? Because there's, like, they have those miniature shots in Blade Runner, which are these giant... Like pyramid, pyramid, like uh, monoliths of buildings. Uh huh. Um, and that carries true in like Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So there seems to be like a lot of overlap in the style, which I think now using the blanket term cyberpunk would cover all of this of what we're talking about. But I don't really know the genesis of like the cyberpunk style within film or manga or anything like that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to look into. Yeah. Yeah, but overall, stylistically, very pretty to look at. That brings me to another thing that really 
uh, impressed upon me within the first few minutes, which was uh, the motorcycles. Uh-huh. I'm not a motor. I'm not a motorcycle guy, but like, Ooh. these are fucking cool motorcycles. Yeah, I'm not about to be a motorcycle guy if I can get one like these. Yeah, they kind of look like uh, what's that movie Tron with like the really yeah. futuristic looking bikes in the virtual world. Yeah, with the walls that come out. The Tron bikes. Yeah, yeah. they look really cool, and it looks like it's like a part of their um, like juvenile gang culture. Like, they bring it up several times. Like, these bikes are points of pride for them. They're protective yeah. about their bikes. They get mad if somebody messes with their bikes. I was, I really dug the stickers on, I think it was Canada's bike. Whoever, I don't, it's hard for me to keep track of, like, whose bike is whose, or it's sometimes even, like, who the fuck is who <laughs> like in this movie. I had a real uh, problem with that. But on one of the bikes, the red one, which I think is the most iconic one, and I can't remember if it's Tetsuo's or Kaneda's, uh, has Canon stickers, which is the camera manufacturer. Uh-huh. It also has the, for whatever reason, and I don't know if this is something that was just in there because it was, we watched an Americanized version of it, but it has like the U.S. military insignia. Really? Yeah, which is the, and I had to look this up because I've se- you've seen this too, this symbol before, but I never knew what it meant. But it's like a star, like in a blue circle and then auto uh out of both ends of the star are three little stripes like red and white is that is and, that a military thing air force or something well i always thought it was like air force or something like that and i don't know why maybe it's like more closely associated with the air force but from what i read and understood it's just like a catch-all for like the u.s military like huh. all the branches yeah but that's on his bike for some reason. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm looking at it right now. It also has a sticker that says "Citizen." Uh huh. This is. We could actually spend some time on this. There's actually quite a few little like fun little product placement stuff in this movie. Um. And I don't know like how much effort they put in to this sort of thing, but there's just like fun things to read like throughout the movie if you're just paying close attention. There's a scene later on that's a box of, like, ginger ale, like, floats by, like, in some water. And I wrote it down because it said uh, Digital Dry was the the brand name of the ginger ale. So digital, digital Dry. Digital Dry Ginger Ale. Ooh. And then same with, like, the stickers, and then there's ads, like, all over the place. It's just, like, a fun and probably accurate depiction of how important brands are in the future. I think it's interesting that they put like that they would think that in 2020 we would just be appending uh, like tech words in front of everything. What do you mean? Like digital dry ginger oh. ale. Like has, <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah. Cyber spaghetti. Cyber spaghetti. What's another one? Pixel milk. Ooh, I like that. Pixel milk. That's actually a good band name. None of our fans steal that, please. There's another guy's bike in the movie who has a Shell logo on it. A Shell logo? Yeah. Like the oil company? Yeah. Wow. Huh. I. We should look that up. I'm curious if that's some sort of, like, alteration. But on the topic of, like, visual, like, English words, like, in the movie, uh, I did look up, because I think we read somewhere right after watching the movie that this movie somehow predicted like what's going on with the 2020 Olympics. Yeah. Which is right now. Um, did you follow up on this at all? No, no. 
So what I learned, and it seems to make sense, I guess, is that someone recently called for the cancellation of the 2020 Olympics. Like right now, in real life, somebody recently did that. And they did it 147 days prior to the 2020 Olympics, which are supposed to be uh, hosted in Tokyo. And in the movie, there is a scene where a helicopter's flying by and the camera pans down to a sign that it, in the version that we watched, is still in Japanese. It's not in English. Um, and apparently that sign says 147 days until the 2020 Olympics. No. Or, some, or something like that. Yeah. That's crazy. Which, it's crazy, but I also think it's kind of a stretch to say that it's predicting anything. All it's saying is that, like, there's 147 days prior to the calling of a cancellation of the 2020 Olympics. Uh-huh. And that by itself, unless you really read into it, I don't think is really significant. What else is there to read into it? I mean, I don't think anybody's uh, going paranormal I mean, here. I mean, it's just saying, like, someone called for the cancellation. It's not like they got canceled on that day or, like, uh, I don't know. Maybe the decision to hold the 2020 Olympics there was, like, made later on. I don't know. I just didn't feel like it was, like, that amazing as, like, some of the conspiracy YouTube videos made it out to be. Uh-oh. Looks like you're uh, deep diving into some parts of YouTube that uh, maybe you should... You should uh hold off on that before you go off the deep end i love weird youtube dude everybody should do a fair dosage of weird youtube every now and then i like uh this is off topic but um i told you before that i like going on uh science subreddits and like asking questions answering questions and stuff Mm -hmm. um like somebody posted a video and was like basically asking and like oh is like is this video legit and uh so i watched it and it's like one of these like absolutely crazy like science conspiracy things about how quantum mechanics like tells us that there's no determinism in the universe and like our consciousnesses are like create the universe as we observe it and then i went back i'm like yeah don't watch this (laughs) you like replied to someone yeah that's good watching out for your fellow scientist Mm -hmm. or pseudoscientist but yeah but back to this like just just the coincidence of um Tokyo having the Olympics this year and then them having I don't know if they how do how do Olympics work man like how do when do they decide like what city is hosting it oh like what year like a decade and some in advance okay yeah so the couldn't the argument be made that like if the 2020 Olympics were being hosted in Tokyo that the person who made that decision was also maybe a fan of the movie Akira. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That would like, be Like, cool. is that too much? Was that, is that not too, is that too much of a stretch? I mean, this movie is, like, very influential. Yeah, that would be a crazy thing to go into consideration because, like, I don't know what the Olympic committees, how they make the decisions that they make, but, yeah, maybe somebody on there was like, this is too good to pass up. Right. I mean, think about who, who are the people who are making these decisions and how old are they and, like, at what point like how old were they in 1988 when this movie came out and then like in the subsequent years when this movie was really popular so i feel like there's an argument to be made that like 
whoever's on that committee fucking watched Akira when they were like 25. Uh huh. And they were like, this is fucking awesome. Like, Tokyo gets the Olympics. I'm going to spend Every- my entire life in sports management, work my way up the ranks <laughs> until I'm in the position to pull the trigger on this. Well. It fucking worked, and then it spawned like some kind of conspiracy theory. I don't know, Kyoko. Portugal has been uh, very patient and uh, waiting for their chance to host, and I think it's time for them to uh, give them the games. Nope, nope, nope. See, here's the thing. You ever see this movie, Akira? Cutaway. 2020 Olympics. Tokyo. (laughs) I got a question. Hmm. Um, so when we start the movie, uh, this Neo Tokyo, it looks pretty run down, right? There's yep. like broken cars on the street. There's obviously gangs just prowling around. It's like a mm-hmm. lot of mayhem. Do you think mm-hmm. that is because it is a city still recovering from the like the apocalypse thirty years earlier, or do you think it's a city that um, recovered and was successful again, but then became run down? due to societal and economic forces i think maybe a little bit of both but maybe more so the latter something i read slash watched talked about how the movie is a parallel to like post-world war ii anxieties about you know the bombs that were dropped on hiroshima and Uh nagasaki in japanese society and how uh even after that like it was a country in ruins but like very quickly accelerated to like one of the largest economies in the world by the 1980s uh-huh. and i think the idea there is that yeah the, the city totally had the ability to reset itself and become like uh very powerful and influential and technologically advanced very quickly mm-hmm. but because of how quickly it could do that it also like subjected itself to totally losing its culture and identity yeah which like i think Hello, absolute parallel to like the timeline of World War II to 1980. Now they have a story with the same time lapse between 1980 and the future. So, yeah, I think right. obvious parallels to World War II and the bomb. Yeah. I think the idea of like taking a look at a society that is rebuilding itself after really catastrophic events is kind of cool to think about. Uh huh. How it's yeah. like a mix of like still being in ruins and still being like somewhat lawless, and then also the society being rebuilt and trying to impose more law. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty unclear like how it got so corrupt so quickly. I guess, or maybe that's exactly what 1988 Japan thought would happen, is it would descend into chaos that quickly. Hmm. Yeah, I don't really don't really know. I just right. thought I just thought it was okay. cool that like this city is a futuristic city but it is not it's somewhat dystopian i would say yeah yeah totally something that i noticed that is present in this and i feel like is present in a lot of anime and i should say i'm not the biggest anime fan you know i'm not not a hardcore anime fan like some people are so take this with a grain of salt but i feel like anime often makes i wrote down anime makes power in quotes very numeric it's always about person x is y more powerful than z who are you quoting right now i'm not quoting anybody i'm just saying like that's the formula for like how anime works okay right where it's like his power level is over nine thousand, right the dragon ball z line and in this it's very much like oh who's more powerful is it 
Tetsuo or is it Akira or is it like the old children? Yeah, it's just like Dragon Ball Z. Like the power is always in the individuals. Like individuals are always the source of power and are the agents that cause change. Like they are both the agents that cause trouble in the world of these shows and the agents that rescue the day and yeah in dragon ball z there's like almost no like government forces or agencies that that hold a lot of power in those shows i mean except for the red ribbon army (laughs) they're very quickly just like completely trivialized and not taken seriously definitely a case study in the power of the individual and so this movie has the same thing going on but the government forces actually do have a pretty important role to play yeah explain that well they're not as powerless as they are like in dragon ball z where it's only about individuals coming together and fighting each other battling it out here the government forces actually are a pretty prominent force and although ultimately like they're not capable of controlling the power uh, they're ultimately not able to really control Tetsuo, as far as I can tell. Uh, but they're still there. They're still a big player. Presumably, they're the ones that created Akira and these uh, Psychus people. Yeah, it seems that way. That during the flashback sequence, like right at the end of the movie, it shows the three old children kind of in the prime of like their experimenting or being test subjects for the government phase of their lives. And Akira is among them. And so it seems to be implied that Akira is, and all of them are just like normal children who have been like subjected to government experiments. And that's mm-hmm. what gave birth to all this incredible power. It's not like they're supernatural, like gods or anything. Why is it that uh, Tetsuo becomes so much more powerful than like seemingly those children did? Well, what is he tapping into exactly? I'm not exactly sure. So here's kind of my theory on it. I feel like I'm just going to go off the reservation here for a minute and give kind of my impression like right after watching the movie because I think a lot of my opinion is sort of tainted by what I've read about this movie. Uh-huh. But there's a, there's a scene in the movie where the Oracle uh, girl, uh, one of the like psychic children, she says something about uh, how the power of Akira is in everyone. And I I drew a parallel to that. Like, you know, we talk a lot about Dragon Ball Z because we're fucking idiots and that's the only, Jap- like, anime we've ever seen. <laughs> but, like, uh, and I think in that show they call it chi, but it's this idea that there is power, like, great power in everyone at some capacity. All it takes is just being unlocked in some way. Mm-hmm. And someone else says at some point that, like, the power of Akira is about to manifest itself in some way. And, like... That's right. That's right. And I don't know if they are referring to Akira, quote-unquote, like, the boy, the person, or if, like, Akira is this more, like, abstract concept of power in everyone, where it's, like, I don't know let's just say like every 30 years like this unstoppable like psychic power like manifests itself in humanity because of evolution or something yeah yeah and and i i just kind of felt like that's what was happening with tetsuo that just like he just happened to be the guy that tapped into like the 0.001 percent capabilities of like uh humans at that point mm-hmm. 
And like before him, it was Akira. Right. And I could be way off on all of that, but that was just my assessment of it. That there, this power is just exists. It exists like in the consciousness of all people. And Tetsuo just happened to be the guy like this year, which would explain why the government can't seem to control it very well. Because in one sense, they are the ones that are kind of creating these, um, these like beings that they, the the children. The, what do we want to call them? The I think in Wikipedia they're referred to as espers. Espers. Is... Here, let me read it for you. An esper, in parentheses, person with extrasensory perception. It's like a sixth sense, it's, you know, psychic powers. Some people claim to have these powers. In real yeah, life. yeah. So, so I, I thought that the esper- government was actually in control of this phenomenon the whole time. Because in the beginning, the colonel tells the scientist to, like, put a stop to it if it gets out of their control. But the way you describe it, it, it seems like it's kind of not in their control entirely. Like, this is some phenomenon that is underlying things it's not like the government created this thing but they're just trying to harness it harness it yeah 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 that's like that seems that's my impression that's the way it seems yeah but i mean like some of the things that i've read seem to challenge that idea or at least like at the very least the idea that the word akira is assigned to like a person versus like a power uh-huh. And like the way the movie presents it, it makes me feel like that Akira is like transcendent from like the guy that you see at the end, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Cause that very, very specifically because that ca- one character says like the power of Akira like isn't everybody. Maybe she's still talking about the guy, but it just, it seems like there's something that's larger than that being mm-hmm. talked about. Right. I think that's the reason that Tetsuo becomes so powerful uh, so quickly. And I think the the movie definitely communicates that it's something that's so powerful that not even the host of the power can control, which is why he turns into a giant, I think one video put it, testicle monster. Oof, yeah, that's the right way to put it. <laughs> definitely the coolest part of the movie like the most visually grotesque and just kick-ass part where he just like turns into a flesh robot monster yeah oh the only thing i can think of during that whole sequence was and this is just the wrong way to think about it but i was like where's all this matter coming from yeah you know he's just growing out of nowhere yeah i mean maybe it's because uh, and i said this right after we watched it that his powers really remind me of like dr manhattan and it helps me understand those powers which is just being able to control matter like on a molecular level or something uh and that's very close to being god if you look at it a certain way i guess Mm -hmm. um but i was like you can't like pull matter out of nowhere so why is he just like flesh and like why does the flesh just keep growing you know yeah I don't think it's, it's as logically like, consistent as Dr. Manhattan's power. Okay. Which I like a lot because it's like totally like with everything he does is kind of within the realm of physics if you ignore the fact that he can just, you know, yeah. his power. He, he has a force that just comes from seemingly nowhere. Phys- physics is his power. Yeah, yeah. Just controls yeah. physics. Mm-hmm. You can create a metal arm 
out of what does he what does he make it out of just like metal gun like gun parts yeah <laughs> it's like i need a new arm there's some like scrap metal over there and totally also, unnecessary because he just like turns into the testicle monster shortly thereafter yeah <laughs> my whole thing is like if you can make like a metal like cyborg arm for yourself like what why can't you just like make a new like fleshy arm for yourself yeah why can't you just regrow that arm maybe he wanted the metal arm he's like this is so cool yeah this is way cooler there's like a stupid line at least in the version that we watched that like his girlfriend shows up and she's like what's with your arm and he's like it doesn't look like much but it works or something like that (laughs) just like a really fucking weird weird way to talk about the fact that your arm is gone and it looks like a fucking like cyborg now yeah some of this dialogue is just like the english dubs are just filled with english cliches i think that a lot of this comes from just like the version that you and i watched yeah yeah i think i was watching some clips of it online and some of it sounded a little different huh so okay i'd be interested in that because that's like definitely like a american expression like oh it's not much but it works you know it runs (laughs) yeah just like uh what's another american phrase one just give give me one american phrase just one that's all i need just one nothing (laughs) (laughs) i'm a horrible american what does it really mean to be american let's get into it this week at the film hall join us next week for our analysis of patriotism and capitalism Mm -hmm. joined by our guest noam chomsky we don't change the name of the podcast at all, but we totally just like pivot to like political commentary. We're we're a political podcast now. Mm-hmm. Did you know that uh, there is, I guess, technically still a live action adaptation of this movie, like in the works? No. Yeah, at least according to Wikipedia. In the works? Wow, I would want to see that. Um, and I say in the works because it's as recent as. In 2017, director Taika Waititi was named the film's director for live, the live-action adaptation. Uh-huh. But the only reason it hasn't been worked on yet is that Taika Waititi took um, Thor Ragnarok and the other sequel Thor movie. He needed to direct those first. Uh-huh. And it's right now, this film is scheduled for release in May 2021. You think they were shooting for, like, a 2019 release? I don't know. Tough to say. They really botched that up, if that was the case. I don't even want to see it anymore. No, that's cool, though. What would you think about a live-action adaptation? I would watch it, for sure. I think that, like, whenever you try to adapt something that is this iconic by itself, like, whatever you're creating is likely going to be, like, inferior. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll watch it, and I'm sure it'll be really cool. Taika Waititi is a good director, but it's it's not going to be like the new Akira. It's not going to be Neo Akira. Neo Akira. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, a lot of the strengths of this movie, I think, are attached to the animation style itself. So you'll have to tear that away when making the movie adaptation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'd be interested to see how they recreate the testicle monster. Yeah. I think we all want to see that. What do you think about the moral ambiguity of this movie? 
Well, it makes me feel uh, emotionally ambiguous. I, like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. The ambiguity makes me feel <laughs> like, am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Uh-huh. I expect clear-cut answers out of my movies. You're not going to get any here. Uh, no, but it just added to the confusion because I couldn't even grab on to whether characters were good or bad. I had a really hard time following motivations or just like what was happening. Yeah. What do you think about the kind of moral ambiguity of the characters? I really like it. Um, especially, you know, we keep bringing up Dragon Ball Z uh, because it's the only anime experience we have. But like, I feel like that and other anime properties that I've seen, and maybe it's just a result of me watching really like dumb anime for kids, but all of the characters in in those shows and movies that I've seen are very obtuse in terms of their motivations. Uh, very like classically good and evil characters. Mm-hmm. For sure. Not a lot of complexity between all of them. So to see like characters in this movie where it's like, there's not really like a clear good guy throughout the whole thing. Like you could say Tetsuo is the main character. He's not the titular character, but he's the main character and he's also kind of a bad guy for most of his screen time Mm -hmm. he starts out as like kind of an atypical like sympathetic nerdy character that becomes the hero or whatever but he's definitely not doing heroic things for most of the movie (laughs) but uh when he puts on the cape it feels like a really direct you know reference to like the classic idea of what a superhero is um you know, Superman wears a red cape. It's unmis- an unmistakable image. But I feel like because Tetsuo is this really uh, polarizing, at times very evil character, that it's the movie's way of saying that, like, people like that or ideas like that just don't exist. That the world is, like, more gray and bleak than what the idea of Superman would inspire in someone. Yeah, very well put. It is interesting that this that he would put on a cape a symbol for for heroes and do-gooders and then like proceed to cause mayhem and destroy the system yeah i think it's the movie's way of just saying like superheroes are bullshit yeah it's a and it's a a real i'm gonna pull the j word out here get ready for it it's a real just juxtaposition (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah the dichotomy between um, good and evil and the way we expect characters to behave and like and it's not just exclusive to Tetsuo like the the colonel character also has some weird stuff going on mm-hmm. where like he's kind of painted as the classic villain for a big chunk of the movie but he has sort of a like moments of redemption and he's ultimately spared right in the end or, I thought he died at the end Maybe he dies, like, in the final explosion, but at least, like, the um, the Esper children, like, take mercy on him. Yeah. And, like, try to get him to safety. Um, and ultimately, he is, like, he takes on this weird kind of one man against all evil role in the final fight against Tetsuo. He, like, approaches uh, Tetsuo with, like, his yeah. gun, and he's like, come on, like, I'm ready to fight you. Not unlike... Uh, I don't know, sort of a 
a hero in like western movies fighting a larger than life uh-huh. evil villain favorite scenes oh, lightning round lightning round welcome to favorite scenes lightning round lightning so one of my favorite scenes is uh when tetsuo starts to discover his powers for the first time there's a part where he's in the hospital or like the lab and he's fighting or like trying to fight his way out of the lab and these like invisible spheres like appear around him i love the way that it's animated where just like the negative space of like walls start to like disappear in the shape of a sphere but there's no like visible field around him it's just like this invisible shape of a spear like just distorting like the world around him do you have a timestamp on that so i can get a go to timestamp 5740 Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. He's doing, like, the Dragon Ball Z, like, and then the ground starts, like... The ground starts, like, like all the little pebbles and uh, particle-sized things, like, start floating around him. Like, he's distorting gravity. But, like, I particularly like what it's doing with just, like, the shape of, like, these spheres, like, these negative space spheres, like, appearing in the wall. Yeah these indentations is that what you're referring to Con- cavities yeah, yeah maybe that's maybe a, a, a more appropriate word it kind of annoyed me because like there's a concavity underneath them that's perfect semi-circle on the walls and in the ceiling but the corners of the walls in the hallways are untouched <laughs> i'm like that would also be pushed away like yeah who knows like the shape it made would be like as if you had uh it's like if you had an egg like a traditional chicken egg that was like elongated to be like three times as vertically tall as a normal egg and then if you had two of those making like a cross shape yeah instead of just like one big sphere that's pushing out the mass around it right and I think that's just like a mistake on the animator's part. I think that the idea is that it's a big sphere. Yeah, go take a geometry class, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Nerds. There's another really cool scene in that, um, in this like escape sequence, like where he uses his powers, I think to kill for like one of the first times where he just like explodes like the people around him. Yeah. And very gory scene and they just like are on the ceiling and like one of their hands drops down, dismembered hands. It's very sudden, too. Like, it's kind of hard to actually see what happens at first glance. Right, right. I felt this way, like, when his girlfriend died, also. Like, uh, when he turns into the testicle testicle monster, he, like, absorbs her into his, like, giant massive flesh. And it's just a very claustrophobic scene where she's basically just, like, crushed to death by by his, like, ever-expanding body. Yeah, and you see it. She just kind of, like, pops, and you see yeah. blood come out. It's just a pop. Like, that's the only way to describe what happens. Ugh, yeah, that was gruesome. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the end. Well, for her, obviously, it was, but for the yeah the other guy that got stuck in there. Unfortunately, the, uh, the women in this movie, other than maybe the Oracle girl, don't have a lot to do, and I wish, no. that, I wish that was not the case. Other than get like punched in the face in that one crazy scene. My final thoughts on this movie are that I really understand now like why it's such a big deal. 
I think I always had like a general understanding that Akira was this very cultural, culturally relevant, important anime movie, which I think is not, you can't say that about a lot of anime come at me like hardcore anime fans. But yeah, I, I now understand why this movie is like such a big deal and why it's important in not only history of anime, but the history of just film overall. Um, I read in several places, you know, it's regarded as like one of the greatest movies of all time, not just like the greatest animation movie, but like one of the greatest movies of all time. And rightfully so this movie like has a lot to offer. Like it has some real like deep dive arguments that it makes about, uh, heroism and what that even means about like the unstoppable power of like nuclear weapons and how it's in a lot of ways just wrong to possess that power and that like no one should be able to wield it doesn't have a lot to say about uh, gender roles which is too bad and then also has some stuff to say about like what like tokyo like became after world war ii and i think just like uh, all of that, like you've got some really important um, themes buried in there, but it's all coded with like a very digestible uh, anime action opera on top of all of it, which is always fun to watch, which is the reason that a lot of people watch anime in the first place. It is fun to watch. Um, overall, like visually, very appealing. I like the violence and like the heavy like adult themes in it like i read somewhere that this thing was like a heavy influence on like adult animation which i think is just to say like an uh, anime and animation that is for an audience of adults definitely not for children which means to the exclusion of children that's what adult animation means <laughs> you're like what does that mean that means not children eyes not for uh esper children or regular children yeah yeah no but it's it's really cool uh i contrast it to japanese animation films like hayao miyazaki oh the spirited studio, away guy studio ghibli films yeah uh mm-hmm. this one is very gritty in comparison to those like his films are always very nice and very like uh soothing light-hearted. to look at lighthearted the animation yeah. is fun mm-hmm. and well lit this one is like very gritty cyberpunk violent mm-hmm. um so it's just like another really good example of what you can do with the anime format yeah you bring up a good point about how just like the color palette alone like is a reflection of like the movie's attitude whereas like the the films that you were referencing are very well lit and like the colors are very vibrant this is very like bleak and like Mm -hmm heavy contrast dark colors but all that said loved it i'm gonna give this a 9.5 digital dry ginger ales out of 10 i will give this movie a 8.7 bar pills out of 10 i think they just call them like capsules capsules oh that's right give me some capsules capsule corp are you sure you can handle it oh that's so funny capsule corp i didn't even make that connection They love capsules. Thanks for listening this week. Our music is by W. Look him up at at underscore W on Instagram. That's underscore the word double in two years.
editing this week was done uh, neither by you or me but by my girlfriend uh, grace fawcett yeah thanks grace tweet us at filmholepod on twitter wherever you're listening give us a good rating thanks again see you next week